0: Delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rabbage. It's the tastiest place in town.
1: Welcome to episode 25 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. In part one of a very special two-part series, Oscar sits down with one of the most beloved Kentucky basketball players of all time. His name is Sam Bowie, and he has quite the story to share. Sam Bowie grew up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and was a member of one of the, if not the greatest recruiting class coming out of high school. We'll hear about Sam's upbringing and what it was like growing up in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Sam Bowie dealt with quite a bit of adversity and was forced to grow up quick in dealing with the death of his father and then having to deal with an injury between his sophomore and junior year at Kentucky. Sam put up some impressive numbers during his freshman and sophomore years and was set to make a giant comeback after setting out his junior year. Sam will take Oscar and you through his college career and you're gonna get some insight on some of the special relationships that he has formed on and off the court. There are some great stories with some legendary players and coaches in this podcast, but I won't spoil it for you. But I will tell you this, you're really gonna like Melvin Turpin just a little bit more. At the beginning of Sam's sophomore season, Coach Hall said that Sam has improved on every phase of the game, and you're gonna find out that Sam has also improved on every phase of life. I'm Bo Robinson, and if Sam Bowie's career at Kentucky had an impact on you like it did me growing up, then this will pull at your heartstrings and put a smile on your face at the same time. Sam Bowie never had it easy, but his hard work and dedication made it look easy. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs presented by Rafferty's, and this is the story of Sam Bowie. Sam
2: Bowie, what do you do today? Well, I've been blessed. uh... I have three children. My oldest, Samantha, is 27, and she graduated from the Vanderbilt University. And then I have a daughter, Gabrielle, who's 21, a sophomore at the University of Kentucky. And Marcus, uh, my youngest, uh, he's a senior down at Sare. And uh, so to answer your question, just enjoying life and watching the kids grow up. And um, I do a lot of public speaking, and I try and give back uh, behind closed doors. I don't need any exposure and publicity, but. As you well know, um, in any profession, all of us needed some help up uh, to get to where we want to go. And so um, just out in the public, mingling, socializing and trying to give back. How much enjoyment have you
0: gotten from being able to be around your kids during that growth stage? So many athletes
2: don't get to do that for one reason or another. That's a great, great uh, statement because uh, I've been blessed in the sense that um, my children have never seen their father work. Uh, Not that the NBA was work. Uh, I'm a big fan of Charles Barkley, and some of the things he says and does I don't agree with. But the one thing that he said that I completely agree is I've never had a job in my life. To be able to see my children from the time that they were in diapers, be around them from one time to the next, uh, it's beautiful to uh, see the kids being raised. We're going to jump around today because, you know,
0: know, I'm— There's going to be times that we'll maybe remember something that we didn't when we started out the show. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the very end of your career with the Lakers. I I remember running in you one day here in town. It was just – maybe the year after you'd retired. And I believe it was the Lakers come back and, and they laid some pretty serious bucks on the table and all they wanted you to agree to do if they made the playoffs that you would be available as insurance in case someone got hurt and you politely told them what?
2: Well, I felt very, um, very fortunate in the sense that my last year with the Lakers, our general manager was a guy by the name of Jerry West, who a lot of people recollect back one of the greatest players to ever play was the MVP of two University of Kentucky Invitational Tournaments at Memorial Coliseum. Did not know that. Yes. Did not know that. But my last year, I went into his office. He wanted to sign me to a two-year extension. He said that they were getting Shaquille O'Neal from Orlando, was coming out there, and they wanted me to back Shaq up, play about 18 minutes a game. And I told Jerry that I thought after watching my skills on tape that I had just gotten to the point where physically I couldn't do what I was expecting myself to do. But I felt very honored that he wanted to give me another a two-year extension. Uh, I was flattered by that, but at the same time, that meant I would have to play and practice against Shaq for eight, nine months out of the year, and I had no interest in that. So I go back to Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm retired for a year, and Jerry Krause, who was the general manager of the Chicago Bulls, they happen to have a guy by the name of Michael Jordan and Scotty Pittman on the team, and he come to Lexington, and he said, look, it's real simple. We're going to offer you a couple million dollars. We want you to show up Right before the playoffs, we'll send a trainer to Lexington to work you out, get you in shape. You'll join Michael and Scotty. We'll win the championship and we'll go on to the next year. Well, my wife and I, we decided to go and stay at Phil Jackson's home and visit for four days to see if I was serious about coming out of retirement and uh, after I watched uh, the practices and sat down with Phil I decided to uh, remain retired. You made good money in the NBA not like it is today but then
0: and you seem to have done a very good job of having it managed to where you could make the decision you made at that time.
2: Uh, thank you for saying that uh, Oscar I come from uh, government cheese and food stamps and through athletics uh, been very blessed and very fortunate and then I surrounded myself with with a guy named Bill Wilcoxon, who's a local fellow that I met when I was 18 years old on a recruiting trip. Back then, all the Kentucky recruits used to go to this Cliff Hagen's Ribeye Steakhouse on Winchester Road. Best in town. I knew you would remember. What about the salad bar? Unbelievable. Met Billy over there, and I was with my father. My father at the time wasn't very healthy, and he shook Bill's hand, and he said to Bill Wilcoxon, if my son decides to come to the University of Kentucky, I'm not very healthy, don't Know how long I'll be here, but will you promise me that you'll take care of him? Kind of get a little emotional when I think about it, but, um, uh, he, uh, Bill at the time said he absolutely would. And, uh, that was when I was 18 years old. So now, being 56 years old, I've been with Bill for uh, 33 years. And uh, he was always from the old school that uh, we've already hit our home run as far as the finances were concerned, that he just wanted to get a single, as he would say. He'd say, if we could get 6 to 7% tax equivalent uh, on our money, we're going to the house with it. So he was never big on uh, big ventures, restaurants. Uh, malls and things of that nature. He he based his whole philosophy on tax-free municipalities and back in the 80s, um, if you recollect back then, um, if you did the right thing, you're reaping the benefits today. So, uh, not to brag or boast by any means, um, I'm 56 years old. I've been retired for uh, 21 years and as Billy Wilcoxon would say, I haven't hit a lick since. uh, (laughs) But I've been very, very fortunate. Let's circle all the way back around. When did you first hear of Kentucky basketball coming from Lebanon Pennsylvania Kentucky basketball was huge even through the state of Pennsylvania I remember when I was being recruited and they told me it was either Ralph Sampson or myself as the best high school ball player in the country so we had every school in the United States looking for us to attend their school well I took two months on every Tuesday every Thursday I would invite a different coach into the home to talk me into why I should come to their school. And I'll never forget this. When Joe B. Hall and Leonard Hamilton came to 919 Lehman Street in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, the whole neighborhood could not believe that the University of Kentucky was actually in Lebanon, Pennsylvania to come look for Mr. Bowie. So to answer your question, I knew about Kentucky basketball from day one. Is it true Leonard Hamilton rented a motel room in Lebanon by the month? That's a true story. Um, Lebanon is so small, Oscar that we only have one hotel. It's called the Treadway Inn. Rooms are very hard to come by. The main industry around that area was the Bethlehem Steel. But to answer your question, Leonard Hamilton, I don't know what his expense budget was (laughs) while he was here at the University of Kentucky, but he had a standard room, and when you talk about recruiting, and back then they had strict rules. You don't know how many games I would come out of my locker room, and all Leonard was able to do was say, hello, no in deaf conversations. It seemed like he- They call it the bump. They call it the bump. Okay. That. He uh, he lived in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and he lived in that Treadway Inn. You know, when we're talking about this, we're talking about roughly your junior
0: and senior year in high school, which would have been 78 and 79. Right. And Kentucky had just come off a national championship in 78. And back in those days, it wasn't one and done. You would build toward a year, and you didn't expect to go to the final four of the championship unless you had at least three or four seniors and juniors so kentucky was going in a rebuilding mode after 78 the 78 79 class as we discussed earlier was dwight anderson chuck vaderber and clarence tillman tillman was from philadelphia was supposedly known as a great great shooter for a big man that's right and dwight anderson i mean white lightning i mean maybe
2: the most gifted Basketball player, I've seen at Kentucky. I agree. You know, not to belittle the kids uh, today or in the future, and I don't want to sound like an old timer that's belittle. That's okay. That's okay. I know I am an old timer, (laughs) but that statement you just made, as far as just straight up athlete, I don't think I've ever come across on any level. I played uh, professionally, and Dwight Anderson at six three and a half, speed, jumping ability, uh, basketball IQ. You uh, phenomenal athlete. So that was going to
0: be the core. Then the next year was going to be the bonanza. The year of Sam Bowie, the year of Ralph Sampson, the year of Derrick Hord, Charles Hurt, Dirk Minifield, James Worthy. Kentucky zeroed in all of them. And and of course, we know the ones that came with you. Hurt, uh, Hurt, Minifield. I think Tommy Hatt was in that Tommy place. Tommy was there, that's right. Yeah. Yes. So at the same time though, Leonard because of his ties and things, I think he was like a distant cousin to James. of James Worthy. Sure was. And he was he was fighting uphill battle there, but he thought he had a shot. And then, there, of course, you and Samson. What do you remember about that year of recruitment and all the fanfare nationally? I mean, that, to me... Naturally, that group had more attention than any of the ones previous to that.
2: I agree with that. I uh I remember in seventy nine, that group a lot of people failed to realize that it was Isaiah Thomas, Dominique mm-hmm. Wilkins, Clark Kellogg, Ralph Sampson. Uh it just went on and on and on. Was
0: well, Barkley the year after that or yes. that year?
2: The year after, after. Okay. But he came out the same time you did. He sure did. Okay. Yeah, yeah I uh, I wound up missing two years and uh and then he left after his uh, journey. Year. Um, but when I signed with the University of Kentucky, I got to know Ralph Sampson through some all star games. And Ralph and I jokingly were in a room and he told me that the two of us would be playing together at the University of Kentucky. One of those games was in Louisville at the McDonald's All American Classic. Somehow, someway, Ralph's mother, and we all have love and respect for our mother, but somehow, way, Ralph. Opted to go to the University of Virginia, but um, when I signed with the University of Kentucky, I had realized that Coach Hall had had two big guys in Phillips and Roby. I liked the uh, the fact that uh, back then, unlike today, you got to remember even a school like Kentucky only had two or three national TV games. It wasn't much uh, national exposure, regardless of who you were, compared to today. We got ESPN and TNT and CBS, ABC, NBC, all kind of networks to to showcase the uh, college kids, but when I signed with Kentucky, the class that we had, there was a lot of pressure and expectations because you had just won it in 78, but the one thing that we had that was a very, very positive thing for this young group coming in was Cal Macy. He was our senior. He had been through it, and um, he was a great leader. The Ralph Sampson thing, he finally had a press conference. It was late.
0: Real late, right near the end of the signing period, and I remember there were five of us here in Lexington, five media organizations, that chartered a Lear jet from Sprite Flight. Is that a name from the past? That's a name from the past. Sprite Flight, <laughs> and we flew the Harrisonburg, Virginia, 40. I think it was like 21 minutes in that Lear jet. So they're going to have the press conference six o'clock particular night. We fly up that morning, and we're going to cover it. Well, before we decided to fly, we thought, you know, it was going. It cost about twelve hundred dollars all of us together, but. Should we go or shouldn't we? So we call Leonard we say, Leonard, we want to be there. It's going to be Ralph. And you know how coaches generally had a feel. Yes. You know? Yes. But we don't want to spend all this money, go up there, say he's going to go to North Carolina because it came down to North Carolina, Virginia, Virginia Tech that's, and Kentucky. That's right. The four schools. Yes. So he said, you know, guys, I think you better be there. Now, Ralph's family and his high school coach had told the four schools, if anybody shows up from the four schools, they're out. So none of the assistants could show up. They could by NCAA, but by the family, room. family rules. So we get up there. Remember Kenny Rice? Oh, yes. Kenny was on there, D.G. Fitzmaurice. D.G., that's the name. Uh, yeah, and uh, Rob Bromley, I think, was on that crew. So anyway, we get up there, and it, we leave here at 9 o'clock. Well, we thought we'd get up there at 11, 1130. 11, it 1 wasn't 6 o'clock. We actually got up there at about quarter to 10. And so we go out, and we have a little bit of lunch, and we're sitting there. We got two vans everything. What are we going to do? And Kenny said, let's go over to his house. They're not going to listen to the house. And he said, well, all they can do is just say no. So we drive over there, and he gets out, and he walks up knocks on the door, and Ralph's mother comes to the door. They chit-chat for about a minute and a half. All of a sudden, he turns around and takes his arm and waves us. Come on in, guys. Come on in. So we go in, and we sit down, and we sit there and talk with Ralph's mother and his father. His mother... Uh, I'd say 6'2", maybe. 6'1", 6'2". I never two. met her. Father, 5'4". Pops, 5'4". He was a gospel music singer. Did not know that. Yes. So we said, we're talking all this time, and I mean to tell you, let me tell you we were her mullets. She was reeling us in. And it finally got around to the point that, hey, you know, wherever Ralph wants to go, that's, we'll be happy with that. We may it may put a hardship on us. We may not get to see his games in the middle of the week, but we won't want what Ralph and the word was out there, like you said. He wanted to come, she didn't, and so uh, I guess it was about 15 minutes before she left. She said, "Well, fellas," she says, "uh, look forward to seeing y'all tonight." And says, "You know, whatever Ralph does, fine." He said, "Now," she said, "now we may miss his Monday night games, but we'll be at all of his Saturday games." Now, do you remember how your schedule was in the SEC back then? No, I don't. You played Saturdays and Mondays. Two-game road trips. You didn't play on Wednesday. Played Saturday, Monday. Saturday, Monday. SEC was the only league that. The ACC was Thursday,
2: Saturday. Did not know that. Yes. But I look back now.
0: Virginia, Tech, Virginia Tech was in, I think it was a Metro something. They played Thursday, Saturday. So, I mean, she really threw us a ringer there. And soon we walked out the door, I looked at Kenny. I said, Kenny, he's going to Kentucky. He said, what do you mean? I said, you just heard her say that she couldn't make the Monday night games. Carolina don't play on Monday. Virginia don't play on oh, Monday. So you read into that? Note. Oh yeah. I'm in the Kentucky baseball. But she suckered me in big time. But now the rumors that went on when we got there that night. They walked in about quarter six. Went back in the coach's office, and I was told what Sarahs was told later. That he went there and she said, okay, Ralph, what's it's going to be? And he said, I want to go to Kentucky. And she got down on the floor and started pounding the floor crying. You can't leave me here. So when he comes out to announce it, he says... uh, and VOK is picking up. There must have been two, 3,000 fans in the screen that night. Right. There were radios from all over the country. And he said, well, I've narrowed it to Kentucky and Virginia, and I'm going to the University of Kent. I mean, Virginia, I think. Well, the radio here cuts it off. So one of the reporter me, said, well, you think that what this is all about? And he said, well, I haven't signed a scholarship yet. I won't do that till tomorrow. I could change my mind. That's what he said. That's I- what he said. But nobody back in Lexington. Heard that.
2: heard that right
0: well as soon as he said that his high school coach grabbed him out the front door they went and when he went out the front door guess who was sitting on the first row of the bench chair? one of the virginia assistants and of course that was the rest of the story
2: right right but uh that that was what if. Yeah, and you know, from some bad, which obviously I would have loved for Ralph to come and played uh, next to him at the University of Kentucky, but as you well know, the, the next year we got another big seven-footer.
0: You know, what those say, when one door closes another and opens up, and I'll tell you what, I like Ralph. I've, I've met him several times, but I would not trade Melvin Turpin's four years here for anything.
2: I'm glad to hear you say that because... I'm biased towards Melvin, obviously, because we were teammates. We lived together. I enjoyed the highs and lows with him. But the reason why I was the number two pick in the NBA draft and the reason why I've had the little financial success I've had through my NBA career had a lot to do with playing next to Melvin Turpin. I don't think I would have been the second pick in the draft if I would not have played next to Melvin Turpin. Back then, you traveled with us. You went to every practice. How underrated was Melvin Turpin?
0: Well, first of all, he was underrated 10,000% as a person. I mean, there's no better person anywhere. His heart was bigger than his body, and I've never seen him get mad. (laughs) I've never seen him say a negative word about anybody, and you could walk up and introduce yourself to him, and you would be convinced that he knew who you were before you walked up.
2: Let me ask you something. You remember the game he had at Tennessee? Uh, Yes, 19 of 21
0: or 22... 40-some points, and we still lost.
2: We still lost. Don Devol was the coach down there. Melvin Turpin, I believe he put up 44-46, somewhere in that yeah. neighborhood. And when you said that he had a heart, he never got frustrated, never, never seen a nerve that you could hit where you could get him to say a bad word and say something negative about the world at all. He scores 44-46 points. We get on the bus to head back home, and I look back there in the back of the bus, and I'll be true if I score 44... You're talking. I'm talking. I'm beating (laughs) on my chest. I'm talking about how all 19 field goals went down out of the 22 attempts. Melvin sat back there on the back of the bus, the same demeanor as if he had two points and two rebounds. So when you describe him, no selfishness in him whatsoever. Great, great player. How many times
0: during your career with him did uh, you see a coach jump on him, either practice or a game, and he'd turn around, and it takes come up and pat him on, but that's okay, Coach. Well, I'll take care of it.
2: A thousand times I saw Coach, and Coach Hall means the world to me in my life. Every time I see Coach Hall, I shake his hand and tell him I love him and thank him for all he's done for me. So when I say this about Coach, I'm saying it in a complimentary way. I've seen Coach Hall call Melvin Turpin everything but a child of God <laughs> during a practice, and I see Melvin go over and apologize and pat Coach <laughs> (laughs) the back of the butt and say, I'll do better next time.
0: Let's go back a little bit to your high school days. (laughs) Growing up, what were
2: your activities you liked to do? When I was growing up, I come from a divorced family. My father was 6'10", 6'11", so that's where my size come from. But I grew up in the YMCA Biddy Ball basketball. And believe it or not, people laugh when I tell this, but this is the truth. Back then, they had a height limit for basketball. And if you were 12 years old and you were past this height limit, you weren't able to participate. So I went through a couple years where I was always taller than my peers, but I wasn't allowed to play because I was taller. And now we look at basketball and you want seven footers. <laughs> so it's strange how the thing has turned around. But growing up, my father worked for the Bethlehem steel industry, divorced family. I had a, one sister that was two years younger than me. I don't want to say we were poverty stricken or poor because everybody around us was in the same condition. So we didn't know that we had less than anyone else because everybody around us was in the same conditions. But I always tell people this one story of growing up. My mother was raising two kids, single. Back then, the government allowed you a free lunch at your school if your mother didn't make a certain amount of dollars annually. Government gave you a free token to get a free lunch. Well, at Lebanon High School, you'd have to go to this room. You'd say Sam Bowie. they check your name off. they give you the coin. you get in the cafeteria line, hand the woman your coin, and she'd give you a free tray. Principal called my mom's house two weeks in the school and said that Shelly Bowie, which is my sister, had not received her token and had not been checked off for two weeks. Well, what we found out, Oscar, was my sister was embarrassed that the student body knew that if you went to that room that you were less than less. So she didn't want her friends and peers to know that she was getting free government tokens. Meanwhile, her brother, 6'8 at the time, I'm trying to get two tokens. I didn't
1: care <laughs> if they knew I was four or not. So
2: that just goes to show you, you can come from the same household. One's embarrassed about getting a free token, and the other one is trying to get an extra token. So, uh, but growing up, so there were you, you and two sisters. One sister. One, one sister. sister, Shelley, two years younger. Did Shelley come to Lexington at one time at UK? Your memory is unbelievable. <laughs> yes, uh, she come to uh, actually work for the University of Kentucky. Okay, and uh, she was here a few years and uh, got a chance to uh, be with her brother here for a few years, then wound up moving out to California and back to Pennsylvania. But, yes, yeah, she was here for a few years.
0: What What was your life with one sister, one sibling?
2: My uh, life with one sister was, I was a very protective brother. Uh, so you were older. I was older. I'm two years older than my sister. And not to brag or boast, but I was always kind of in the limelight through my basketball. And Lebanon being a community of 30,000 people, to have uh, I had Dan Rather come to my home, sit down and do an interview. And to have people like that come to Levedon, Pennsylvania. What, uh, Dan Rather being CBS News,
0: what was the program was
2: it? It, it was? It was high school recruiting and, okay. and I
0: was supposed to be... Was that the one that had Ralph in it and you Ralph and, myself, worthy and all, worthy of it? all of us? Because uh, it had become such a national story
2: that year. And to this day, a lot of people think that the 1979 high school McDonald's All-Americans were the best... Ever, and uh, I uh, I just talked to Dominic Wilkins uh, last month, and uh, the human highlight film, the human highlight film. What school? Georgia,
0: Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, during those eighties. 80s... The SEC had
2: big-time talent. Yes, we did. You know, you Tennessee, had Terry Ferry in that, Dell Ellis down there, Vern Fleming. Byrne Fleming. They, uh, then you know, at Auburn with uh, Chuck Person, Chuck Persons, and Charles Barkley, and then down in Florida. the SEC, um, and that's why not to belittle uh, because what the job that Coach uh, Cal has done. As we sit here right now, you, myself, and the rest of the Commonwealth just expect. Another SEC title. It's just uh Well Georgia went to the final four in eighty three. Good point. Yeah. I and mean, that's how good the a ball club they were uh in eighty three. So uh the SEC was a very competitive uh and if we had if you had been playing, we'd been there in eighty three too. I believe that or if there had been one more shot in regulation we would have been there instead of louisville that's exactly right that's exactly right now growing up in lebanon pennsylvania was uh was a wonderful time and i look back on it and uh uh, just very fortunate that i had the supporting cast that i had the people from my hometown it was like the small town boy does good let's get into your rival kentucky this was a huge huge
0: bump People were feeling that there's going to be an era coming in here that would surpass the 77 and 78 team and the 75 team. And your first year here, two things, I think. uh, I don't know if it was our first game or second game we played Duke in the Hall of Fame Classic.
2: My very first college game was against Duke in Springfield, Massachusetts in the Hall of Fame Classic. And close game. I joked with Cal Macy uh, last month. as As a college basketball player, there's few games that you remember and you remember them very well and the fact that that was my very first collegiate ball game, there was a lot of high expectations on me. I was going up against a guy named Mike Jemansky, uh, Gene. G-Man. Uh, that's right. We're playing Duke, and I'll never forget this. I had two free throws at the end of the game that could have clutched and clinched the victory for us. I made one, and I missed the second one, and we lost in overtime. Well, I think I had like 22 points and 16 rebounds my first collegiate game against, uh, against uh, an all-American and Mike Jeminski, but I remember being in the locker room, people were trying to tell me that that's not normal for an 18-year-old to be on national TV to play against first team All-American and put up those numbers, but all I remember was I missed that free throw and the outcome could have been different. So, you go all the way back to 1979 and the Duke-Kentucky uh, rivalry was with me way back then. You know, I think about this all the time because I you covering the
0: runts and 65 when I was in Hazard. But all of my time, two of my top five players, and I won't name the other three because I don't want the ones who finish six through ten to know who I'm talking about. But you and Kyle were all always two of my favorite. Thank you. And I can say this because we're such good friends, but I never dreamed going into that year that Sam B would miss a free throw that would cost us a game against Duke. And if we played him again, that Kyle Macy would miss a shot that
2: would cost us a light game. It's, it's kind of um, when you look back, and Macy he was a senior and and it was at rub it was a situation where cal i keep bringing up his name because when I he back, says he still got a bruise on the elbow from the from the uh from out, the foul but that wasn't called i was gonna say i'm biased <laughs> now he got fouled so uh and i'm sticking to that
0: now, now let's go back in that season a little bit because after we played up in springfield we ended up going to anchorage alaska and there were some things up there that happened on the way. I remember, I think we may have had a game or two before that. I'm not sure. But I knew that we flew up from Lexington to Chicago, and we had like an eight-hour layover, and they had a, a, a room there that everybody could get into. And during this time, you met for the first time, played with a young
2: kid by the name of Dwight Anderson. When you say the name Dwight Anderson, the greatest athlete I was ever fortunate enough to be around speed endurance the way he could jump his basketball IQ could pass could defend great 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 athlete and if you could have the good Lord come down and build you one to your specifications it'd be Dwight Anderson but the thing about Dwight that I knew when I first met him was he was a little different breed, and I say that with all love and all respect. He didn't realize the responsibility of not being only a college basketball player and, and a role model, but when you play for the University of Kentucky, I know I'm jumping around here, but when I say the University of Kentucky, it's a whole different animal. I, I, I remember in 1980, Oscar, I was on the U.S. Olympic team that we boycotted the Olympics.
0: still like that cowboy outfit Uniform you had, a that home. We had on when
2: we met President <laughs> yes. Carter at the White House. Yes. But my roommate at the time was a guy by the name of Isaiah Thomas, who played at the University of Indiana for a coach named Bobby Knight. You don't know how many times Isaiah kept me up at night asking me what was it like to play for the University of Kentucky? What it was like to play for the University of Kentucky, and that's that's not make believe. I'm that's as true as it comes. So when I say Kentucky basketball, that's uh, that's a, that's a strong, strong uh, uh, representation that you have to have. So getting back to Dwight, Dwight was from Dayton, inner city, wasn't big on discipline, wasn't big on rules and regulations. So at an early stage, you could see that Dwight was going to be battling some demons and uh, sad to say that he wound up transferring and uh, uh, got nothing but love for him. I talked to him last year and he was still struggling with some personal demons. His freshman year, his coming out party was the traditional
0: game that you played into. And that was Notre Dame at Freedom Hall in Freedom Louisville. Hall. And late in the game, Kentucky was down six, seven, eight points. And they decided just going to clear out the lane one-on-one, and he took over and scored like 11 points in two and a half minutes, and Al McGuire said, a star is born. He just started doing TV after winning the title in that 77. Huh. And then later on, I mean, he just he just kept blossoming. Had a great SEC tournament uh, for two games, and I believe it was against Alabama in that great 110 uh, to 101 or something like that game, he broke his arm. Ooh. Did not get to play against Tennessee in the finals and then came back the next year. But anyway, jumping back to the next year, uh, we're in Chicago and a good friend of yours and mine from the football side, John Barlovitz, made the trip as a guest of our Hall of Famer, Ralph Hacker. I remember Coach coming with us. Yes. And I, I remember in that, White was sort of off alone to himself during that time in Chicago. And we... uh went on to Anchorage, play that and then come back. And, uh, well, first of all, what do you remember about playing at Port Richardson
2: Army Base in when we got over Anchorage. to uh, Anchorage? Yes, and they took us over to the Army Base to play that ball game. The only thing I can possibly relate it to is the little smaller version than Alligator uh, Alligator Alley. Is that I uh, Alligator Alley, Florida? And you remember, we played in that before that O'Connell Center was built. I, I remember shooting a picture of you there in
0: Anchorage, and you went. Uh, practice one day and they had a big sign on the side of the wall that said no dunking allowed.
2: That's amazing that you can even remember that because I told you as a ball player certain things and games you recall I remember being in the gym and seeing that big sign no dunking allowed and uh, to think the game of basketball to see us. And it wasn't all that long before that that you couldn't dunk. That's right. Because? Of Kareem, which was a guy named Lou Alcindor. That is great. Who attended UCLA. They outlawed Duncan because nobody could stop him. Went, went, went through that trip up there.
0: Coach was all business. Didn't let you go do any sightseeing or anything, but. The morning of the championship game, which was a Sunday, if I remember right, he finally relented and they decided to take the team out to see Portage Glaciers on a bus. Yes, we did. Can you remember what all happened there?
2: I remember. I've got a picture and I believe I got it from you. Yes, I got a picture of you in the bus. In the bus, I had a white towel wrapped around your head. Wrapped around. And it's, I'm not big on keeping memorabilia. My loved ones would tell you, but I have that in my office. That's one picture that I look at. And it brings me back to that time. But I was on the back of the bus. I received that picture from you, and it was with the white towel. And I was back there, and I was looking out the window. I remember Coach was very businesslike when we went on that trip. But that day when we went out to look for, uh, at a, a real live uh, glacier, the bus rides are always part of the most fun part of going to the arenas and going on trips because the coaches sit up front and all the players sit in the back. So that's the part that you embrace, just the time. Uh, on the bus. I remember he didn't want to do the trip,
0: but it was raining in Anchorage that day. As we started out, it started snowflaking. And the farther we got out, the heavier it was. And all of a sudden, you, you met no oncoming traffic. traffic. And I was sitting three or four seats back with D.G. Fitzmore's. And at once, Coach Hall turned to Coach Parsons and says, tell the driver just turn around. We don't want to go any further. <laughs> yeah. So he gets up and tells the driver, he said, well, we can't turn. There's no place to turn no. right now. It's got to win. So he comes back and tells Joe, can't turn. Go about another three or four miles. He said, you just tell him to turn around no matter what. We're going to get back. Because it's supposed to have been an hour trip, and it turned out to be two and a half. Now that you said that, I recall that now. <laughs> and finally, he went up and he says, "Dick, go tell the driver to turn the damn bus around." <laughs> <laughs> and so he goes up and tells the driver. And the driver says, "Sir, I'm sorry, I cannot turn this around till we get up to where the glaciers are at." And he come in. I mean, you could see steam coming I'm out of the coaches. Joe, uh, coaches, you're so funny. He got up there, and then once he got up there, he let everybody get off in a snowball
2: fight. Oh yeah, yes, and yes, see the glaciers. Yes, yes, that's uh, like you say. Times like that, you. you you embrace those then we come back we play the championship against
0: whom iona iona jeff ruling ruling big kid a big kid that joe had tried to recruit and didn't get him and i think he was maybe a sophomore he was all he was a junior he was older yes junior yeah but he was uh and who was the coach of that team don't know that oscar jimmy valvano i did not know that yes jimmy v Wow. My first day up there, uh, we weren't playing the first that. day. And I I get a ride out there. I mean, you're literally on the military base. And I had no way back. And I'm, I'm going to get a taxi. And then I suddenly was told, taxis don't come here, you know, on a military base. Right. So finally, two guys come out. And one of them is Pat Kennedy. Remember him? Oh, yeah, I know
2: Pat. Yeah. Coach
0: at Florida Coach State. At
2: Florida State, that's right.
0: Well, he was an assistant to Jim Valvano at Iowa at the time. And he says, uh, you waiting for a ride? And I said, well, I'm trying to hitch one. He said, where are you going? I said, Sheraton, where? He said, we're going there. I said, hop in. And he gets in and Val Wong gets in the other side. They tell jokes for the 30 minutes back that I'll treasure forever. Is that right? Yeah.
2: I and know. later on, they become who they were. Yeah, they uh, I remember big Jeff Ruling. I know we played uh, Iona in the finals, but I did not know that Coach uh, V was uh, there at the time. God bless his soul. Yeah.
0: Throughout that freshman year, what, what,
2: do, you, what do you remember most? The, the one thing I remember is Coach Hall was a disciplinarian. I didn't know that we we were going to have curfews. I didn't know that you had to have a yes sir, no sir response. I didn't know that he was going to hire someone to teach eating etiquettes. Dr. Gosh, the name or you, escapes me. but You, you recall, but yes. coach was more than X's and O's. I, I wish the general public would know how many times and they, they had a speech coach too. We had a, a speech coach that it was mandatory for us to attend. It was all about bettering you as an individual. The X's and O's uh, the other night, Ralph Hacker, during his acceptance speech for the Hall of Fame, I believe it was Ralph, but he said that Coach Rupp said there's three and a half million assistant coaches in the state of Kentucky. The thing that I remember as a freshman with Coach Hall for a guy who fouls Adolph Rupp, we'd win a ball game Oscar by 12 and they'd want to know why we didn't win by 13. And I saw how Coach had All this pressure. I mean, the expectations are incredible. Um, But my freshman year, I just remember having a whole lot more respect for coach hall because I heard the outsiders and I was a ball. I'm 18 years old, but I'm like, we're number one, number two, number three in the country. I mean, slow down folks, you know, but, and Freddie Cowan was on that team. Freddie Collins was on that team. That's right. You got a good memory. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually my roommate. Oh, was that right? Sure was.
0: And so you, you go through that season, things are coming together. You're still very young with the exception of Freddie and Kyle. And Kyle Maceley. Yes. And you, you 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 get uh, Jay down. Scheidler. remember Jay, Jay Shidler. He was, I think he was a senior. He was too. a senior too. Yeah. So you you get into the tournament. You're in a sweet sixteen when you bow out. And that was a year eighty. That if we had beaten Duke, I mean that wasn't the greatest Final Four ever. No, it wasn't. That
2: was that was there to be. What, wasn't Iowa in it that year? I think they were. I think Iowa, were. Purdue. I wouldn't know. Your your memory's way better than mine. But I just know that it wasn't one of the powerful Final Fours that you always expect. Number one. Seems to be, uh, did, did Purdue beat Duke at Rupp? I'm not sure either. Yeah, I'm not, I, I couldn't tell you that, but
0: anyway, you're, you're going to lose Freddie. You're going to lose Macy, but you're coming back with a really so, solid team. Your sophomore, your first year, you had 357 points, 313 rebounds. I'm sorry, 440 points and 276 rebounds. And really looking forward to your sophomore year. You, you get into the sophomore, you have another good year. Uh, Kentucky's ranked high in the top 10. You get into the tournament. Uh, Kentucky was not having a lot of good luck in the SEC tournament. I think it took five years for Coach Hall to win his win first, first title. one. But in your second year, uh, we played UAB and I think
2: Tuscaloosa. Does that sound right? That's exactly where we played them. And uh, We had played them earlier in our Christmas tournament. UKIT. Just handled them uh, like we wanted to. hmm I remember as a ball player that uh, I remember that game very well down in uh, Tuscaloosa,
0: and that was the first of two back-to-back years where a lot of fans <laughs> got really, really nasty about the exit in the tournament because upset both your first yeah. UAB, then the second was Middle Tennessee, and the second one you were on the sidelines. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, what What do you remember with the uh, big blue name? Because again, now this was two years into this great run that people were
2: thinking it, it's. It's really strange how you fast forward 30 years, and I heard Coach Cal use this statement a hundred times. Kentucky basketball isn't for everyone. And a lot of times the Commonwealth, when I go to the grocery store, the dry cleaners, the car wash, people always talk Kentucky basketball. And they'll come to me and they'll say, Bowie, what does he mean by Kentucky isn't for everyone? Well, my senior year, I think we might have been 29-5. and We get beat by Georgetown in the final four when we come back from Seattle all i run into was what happened not that you played 34 ball games and win Twenty-nine. They want to know what happened. And I always tell people this. How many years have we been playing college basketball? Kentucky, the University of Kentucky, approximately. Uh, 110. 110. How many championships do we have? Eight. So that's one every, break it down, basically. 10, 12 years. 10, 12 years. But in the Commonwealth, we want to win it every year. And if you don't win it every year. And it's gotten to the point now where Final Four, why When you expected that? When most schools, just give me a Final Four in my lifetime. In my lifetime. Yeah. So... When we say Kentucky basketball is not for everyone, we're referring to you can be a McDonald's All-American, and if you don't have some tough skin, the fans make the program the greatest program there is. But they're also, they want it all. Uh, You just mentioned a Final Four. That's not what we're looking for.
0: You know, you probably got three or four schools like that in football. Alabama, Southern Cal, Notre Dame. And I think if you want to, Really make an analogy what Notre Dame once was and why
2: now they're still trying to get it back. Back. I agree. I agree. You know, I know we're jumping around here, but John Calipari and I'm we're great friends. The thing that he's done is he has grabbed the pass and asked us to help him today. What he's done for Coach Hall. Coach is there every practice, but John, not all coaches in between him, these two have done that. I was getting ready to say, not to mention any names, but not 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 all coaches in between, as you just mentioned, was as warm as embracing others before them. The past. The past. One thing that John Calipari has done, I had never met John Calipari in all my basketball walks of life until the University of Kentucky hired him. I got a phone call on my cell phone one day. It said Sam Bowie. left a message. Sam Bowie, John Calipari, would love to get a lunch with you. Introduce myself. From that day on, he treats me like I'm on the roster. He treats all former players the same way. Um, I wish people could be at a John Calipari's practice because they know him as a recruiter, as a guy who gets the best players and he should win 30 games every if anyone tells me that he don't know X's and O's, they know nothing about the game of basketball. He he thrives on teaching, he thrives on he knows the game. He's not one of those coaches, Oscar, where people People know he makes I don't know, coached with endorsements. He might make eight, nine, ten million a year. When he's in that gymnasium coaching over at the craft center, he don't need the the red light to be on the camera for him to coach. He's coaching when there's nobody else in the gym. Can't say enough about where our program is right now. And remember, when he come in here, where our program was—we're the winningest program in in, in the world—but we had a couple of years prior to him taking the baton here and and taking us to where we're supposed to be, and he did it in a hurry. It's it's incredible. We'll we'll never witness. Um, he's changed. I'll turn around that quickly. I, I mean, you you're uh, you're a historian. I mean, how great was that? Uh, uh, and I, we haven't left. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it just uh, he had a
0: chart that he'd formulated early on. A good friend of mine who started, who was a sports writer when you were growing up, and I know you know the name, Dick Hoops Weiss. Oh, yeah. oh uh, yeah. Worked in Philadelphia for years in New York. And I remember him sitting at Rupp Arena the year Billy Clyde at AM upset Louisville, which was. Uh, oh, yeah, I was down there. I Rupp guess Arena. that was, I guess that was uh, near the end of the Tubby. He was a Texas AM. Yes. He was a coach at Texas. And uh, we were sitting there when he was looking at that, and he says, How long's Tubby going to coach? And, you know, we really didn't know i mean tubby just dropped it on us you know a couple weeks after season i said you know it's tubby's as long as he wants it and i do believe that tubby was going to have to take himself out because he run a clean program. program he he worked hard he was a good teacher didn't recruit
2: was in the community
0: yes but he said you know who really wants this job don't you and i said no i have no idea he said john calipari and it sort of threw me for a loop he was at memphis at the time he said john has a plan, and he'd written a book with John, and he'd also written a book with Rick Pitino, who's wise I'm talking about. He said John has a plan, but he is convinced that he can never implement that plan till he's at a blue blood school. He said because you don't have the calling card at Memphis or at UMass that you would have if you were at Kentucky, Kansas, or North Carolina. You get on the phone, and I'm John Calipari at UMass, and you're calling ESPN, they put you on hold, and I'll get back to you. But if you're at Kentucky, carolina or kansas they take it and he said he would do anything to get that job and he wants it well suddenly it opens up and i always say the heat the the perception of john calipari at that time was so questionable that i think uk was afraid to hire him and so the heat was too great to hire him but they hired gillespie and when that failed, the heat was so strong then on uk's administration they better not flunk Or swift on the next Next one. one. Wow! And at that time, they said, "Hey, the risk is worth. We'll take our chance because we know he can do it." And of course, the rest is history.
2: Now, not to elaborate on John Calipari, but let me tell you one of the best stories. Coach Cal and his wife live across the street from Idle Hour. I'm a member at Idle Hour along with Billy Wilcox. Cal wants to join Idle Hour. Bill and I are two. So you got to have a couple of sponsors, right? You know how the program works. You have to have a couple of sponsors needless to say Billy and myself sponsor Calipari and his family they go through the meet and greet you have to go meet the board members shake hands do what you do I give coach Cal and his wife a ride across the street I picked them up at their house took them over to the club after the meet and greet I'm dropping them back off we pull up he's got electric gates there we're sitting there he says boo put in such and such numbers I push the numbers gate opens up I pull up I'm thinking him and his wife's get ready to get out of the car and he decides that he wants to talk for 30 minutes. Coach Cal, we talked about everything, just compressed it but the thing I left with that night Oscar, the one thing that I got the message from Coach Cal was he looked at me he said, Bowie, you've been blessed, you've been fortunate, your family's going to be fine their next generation's going to be fine Ellen and I, we're fine, look at us, look how we live, we're blessed he said, my job is to make sure that these kids are first in the universe Whether you like it or not Is second He said my job Is to help these kids Help these families When people think Of one and dones John Calipari's If you go to college You go to college To learn a trade To make a living For the rest of your life If somebody comes to you Prior to your graduation And hands you A $20 million lottery ticket That is your trade When I see people In the public And they say Bowie Why would he leave He's not ready It's not a matter If he's ready If somebody's willing To compensate you, and I know education is extremely important. I have three children, but if you graduate number one from the School of Engineer, you know what your compensation will be when you come out your first year? Was this conversation early in his career here? Whatever year it was that he joined Idle Hour. So before he coached his first game? Yes. He he was about the kids from day one. Another subject on John. Just recently, I, I joked with him about getting every McDonald's All-American that's out there. He looked me dead in the eye Oscar and he said buoy he said, I got recruits when I was at Memphis. He said, now you give me UK. And that was the whole point the that whole Dick Hoops was, was talking about. Brought up about yeah. being put on hold. He said, Bowie, I'm supposed to get these players. I got Kentucky behind me. Where well, he, he said, would get one or two a year at Memphis, at Memphis. he gets five or six here. And he said, the reason, he said, nothing's. J-. He said, I got Kentucky behind me. It's not John. John will put himself second. He said, when you go and you got Kentucky behind you, you're going to get the kid. Not to brag about. Our recruiting class in 79. Horde, hurt, height, buoy, Menefield. Wouldn't that have been the number one recruiting class? It was then? first year with the Eric Bloodsoul, the John Walls, the, the Boogie Cousins, and then comes right back. Well, Cal feels as though it's not him, it's Kentucky. He said, When I come with Kentucky, I got an advantage. Back to your
0: career. Your sophomore year,
2: you're coming off
0: of it. Before you're able to lace them up for your junior year, you have an injury. It starts out being a nagging injury. There was talk talk about this when during the draft in 84 and then later on in your career have you ever had a problem with that leg when you were in high school?
2: Never had any uh, problems all through high school. My sophomore year, I remember we were practicing over at Alumni Gym, and uh, I had a little discomfort in my left tibia, which is your shin bone. And uh, Walt McCombs, who was a trainer at the time, put a little ice on it, thought it was just a little maybe shin splints or something. Started getting a little worse. Make a long story short, it got to the point where I couldn't participate, couldn't play, and... Found out it was a stress fracture, something that the orthopedic doctors back then didn't have much uh, expertise on. It went from me thinking that I was going to get a six-week cast put on until I wound up getting a cast put on for 49 weeks. I shirt the following year. They find out the leg doesn't heal, so now I just miss another year because I had surgery. They took some bone out of my hip and grafted it into the defected area in the tibia, so I wound up missing my junior year completely and then was fortunate enough to come back my senior year. Those two years you set out, how difficult
0: it was how difficult was it to even maintain a focus on your academics. When you're sitting here, you're not playing you obviously got to be worried about how it may affect your future beyond college and everybody else is
2: out there playing and you're doing this daily rehab. There was two things that I was most concerned about. One was I might not be able to play pro ball and do some things for my loved ones. Because I was always about, I want my mom to stop working at Hershey's Food Corporation. I want my mom to be able to relax, get a home for her, things that you want to do for your loved ones. But, And between those two years, you lost your father. That same year that my leg was bothering me, Coach Hamilton come by the apartment I was staying at that summer, knocked on the door and told me that my father had just passed. At the age of 45, he had a cyst on his lung that burst and caused internal hemorrhaging. Well, my parents were divorced at the time, Oscar and I didn't realize I was 19 years old. So when I went home, I was responsible for the funeral arrangements because I was the oldest child. Well, I didn't know that I had to pick a suit for my father. I didn't know that you get somebody to shave uh, the beard. And I knew nothing about funerals, you know. So when I went home, I didn't know that I had to get a lot to, to bury them. A headstone, well, I couldn't. I didn't get a headstone until I played pro ball. I didn't have any money for a headstone. But anyways, when I went home, just uh, as a 19-year-old kid, it was uh, an educational experience. So when I come back from my father's funeral, I, you know, the legs broke. You don't know where your future's at. So I was kind of confused at that time of my life. Um, but the you brought up academics. Believe it or not, it took the reverse effect for me because Coach Hall, when you played at his program, it was mandatory to go to class. It was mandatory for tutors. You got discipline if you didn't have a great point average I was always an average student but when I got injured my father passed and I missed two years I got to thinking maybe my pro career might not happen believe it or not I started taking my academics more serious as you and I talked before when one door closes another one opens Um, so um, in the long haul I benefited from because I started taking my studies a lot more serious
1: Sam Bowie once said that his biggest sports thrill is representing the University of Kentucky, and he's done it well. There's more from Sam and Oscar coming up in our next podcast, but if you'd like to catch up with some of the previous episodes of Conversations with Oscar Combs, then OscarCombs.com is where you can find previous episodes. And to have Conversations with Oscar Combs automatically downloaded to your mobile device for free, you will need to subscribe. For iPhone users, search iTunes for at Wildcat News and hit subscribe. For Android users, search the Google Play Store for at Wildcat News and subscribe. That way you'll never miss an episode and you won't miss episode 26, part two of Conversations with Oscar Combs and Sam Bowie. And to stay up to date with Oscar, follow him on Twitter at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, thanking you for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. And as always, go Big Blue.